And the rest of us will be in Ephesians, looking at the second half of chapter 2. All right, so today, today we're taking a, a bit of an odd turn this morning. So we uh, looked these past two weeks at what we'd kind of understand as the, the very essential and basic understanding of the gospel, that we are dead in our transgressions, that we are, that without Christ, we are enemies and we are dead. And looking back helps us to see the extent of our great salvation that we have found in Christ. To see the, the depth of the mercy and the grace that is poured out upon us. That we might first not boast in anything. We not claim any righteousness for ourselves. Not claim any salvation for ourselves. But secondly, that we might also praise God for the grace that we have found in Jesus Christ. So we look back not to feel guilty or ashamed or, or downtrodden, but we, we look back so we might see the, the grace of God and praise him. Now today, we're, we're kind of continuing that same theme. Paul wants us to look back and to remember, but he wants us to look really far back. And back in ways that you and I, we almost never look back. We have totally forgotten about this aspect of grace in our lives and so today, you're going to bear with me. This is not going to feel immediately relevant. We're kind of mining the depths of the grace of Jesus Christ to find and uncover yet another reality of how gracious he has been towards us. And with that, we might praise more, we might appreciate the gospel more, and we might reflect that in... Uh, the way we relate to one another, particularly to other races and to other peoples. And so with that, uh, we're going to look at our Gentile heritage today. Hooray! And what it looks like to, to be horizontally reconciled with Jew and Gentile, and then vertically reconciled with God himself, that we might know the, the grace we've found in Jesus Christ. So with that, let's, let's look at Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 18. Ephesians 2, 11 through 18. In light of our great salvation, therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, and so make peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility and he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Let's pray. Father, would you shape us this morning? Would you be with us? Would you give us uh, grace to listen and to understand, to think more deeply about our roots 
and where we ought to stand independent of Christ, that we might worship and that we might uh, reflect the peace of Christ with one another and, and we might bask in the peace that we have with you. Lord, would you shape us and would you fill us with your Holy Spirit that we may know these things and they may touch not just our minds but our hearts as well, we pray in Christ's name. All right, so Paul begins a section with a call to, of all things, to remember. To remember where these Christians stood before Jesus. Therefore, remember at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope without God in the world. Now, as we've said, this, this letter was not just to the, the church in Ephesus. It was a circular letter that went to many of these churches. And what was common about them is that they were Gentile churches. Now, what is a Gentile? A Gentile is anyone who is not a Jew. The Jewish people, they were the, the Israelites, the, the children of Abraham. They were the, the special called ones. And everyone else, Gentile. And Paul, he wanted to remind these Gentile believers of where they stood independent of Jesus Christ. Where they stood in the flesh. And that they could rightly and kind of almost pejoratively be called the uncircumcision. That outwardly they had no place in the promises, the sign of the covenant was not upon them. And that that is where they stood. Now, we're going to talk about where they stood after, after Christ, but all right, why do we care? All right, we should care because these were Gentile believers. Most of you are Gentiles. I think I'm like one of you might not be a Gentile. Uh, all right. I'm a Gentile. Most of you are Gentiles. And as much as we, we never think about this, there are huge implications scripturally and spiritually for the fact that we are Gentiles. That we are not of Jewish descent, that we are not the Israelites. And what is Paul saying? He's saying, remember. Remember because we forget. And not even we forget, we just don't even, we, we don't care. And he's pleading with us, no, no, there's, there's more, even more to the gospel and the beauty of what God has done for you that you completely take for granted. And so let's, let's bring it back to mind. And so, he says that there are implications for those who are Gentiles. And look at the list. Remember that you are Gentile, and remember that because you are a Gentile, you were, at that time, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. All right. That is a heavy list. Do you know that that list applies to you as a Gentile? That is inherently who Gentiles are, who uh, these Christians were, and who some of you were and 
who some of you are as Gentiles outside of Christ. All right, so let's talk about this. You are separated from Christ. Throughout Scripture, there's this promise of the, the great king who would come and rescue his people, the anointed one, and who would lift up the nation as the greatest of all nations, who would herald that, that the salvation has come. Now, that is for the Jewish nation of the, the Israelites. Now, imagine if, if the king of England, the next king of England, was just amazing. <laughs> all right, we've met him, so some of you might not think he's too amazing. But uh, or, imagine, he, he comes to the throne, and, and he, he solves every problem. And he changes all of their hearts, and all of a sudden, this is the greatest nation in all the world. You're not English. You, we, we made our choice, and we abandoned all that. And, all right, you have to go back a couple hundred years, and it doesn't apply to you. That's what we're talking about. All right, like, good for them, not good for us. You are separated from the Christ. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Aliens. Foreigners. That this nation is, is going to be lifted up and it's not yours. This is not yours to be lifted up. And a, a question for you. Question. Do you have to be part of Israel to be saved? John 4.22 Salvation is from the Jews. Or Galatians 3.9. Uh, this, is, this is talking about how, all right, how do you come part of this family? You, you have to have Abraham as your father. That's just how it works. And so I'd say in a very real sense, yes, you have to be an Israelite. You have to become part of these people. If you're not part of this group, these are not, this is not your salvation. This is not your nation being lifted up. We are strangers to the covenant of promise. Now, we love the covenants. We love the covenants that say that, that we will be blessed and, and through us will come all the blessings. We love that the, the king will come and will reign on the, the throne forever. That God will, will be their God and, and he will be their people. Now, once again, are these promises inherently for you as a Gentile? No. All right, imagine that the prime minister of Norway <laughs> said that everyone gets free housing for life. Should you jump up and down and go sell your house and go, no, it's not yours. That's what we're talking about. All right, uh, having no hope. All right, we've stressed again and again in Ephesians, hope. The extent of our hope, these promises that, that we are the apple of God's eyes, that he, are, he is our portion, that he has poured his glory into us, that he is, he is glorified, then we are glorified, and all of the promises and hope that comes with that. If you are a Gentile, without Christ, you have no hope. No hope. And finally, without God in the world. God chose his people to be their God he chose the Jews. He did not choose the Gentiles. All right, remember when we did Judges? 
All right, think back. Think back a long time. All right. Remember all those other nations? The Moabites and the Midianites and the Ammonites and the Amalekites. The Philistines. They're not night, but I don't know why they chose that one. Uh, all right. Where was their standing before God? What were they? They were simply enemies. The one thing in common between all of them, they were Gentile nations. And they did not have God as their God. They did not have this eternal heritage. They were not his people. And so I'm asking you to remember. And that is, so we often read, okay, and take for granted that we are the heroes in these stories. The Gentiles were not the heroes. They were the enemies. They were the enemies of God's chosen people. And we think, okay, yeah, no, I, I get that I'm an enemy by sin. I get that I've rejected God, but it goes so much deeper. By your heritage, by most of your birth, by most of your nationality, you are outside and alienated from God. That is a very hard pill to swallow. All right, it reminds me of the, this goofy tweet that I saw the other day. All right. I'm going to put that up, uh, if it's there. All right. I was in a park, and a lady la- loudly called out, Any who wa- anyone who wants an ice cream, come over here. I headed over with several others. She handed out ices to them. All then asked me, who are you? And I realized the rest were all her family. 30 years later, I still cringe. Wait, <laughs> I... I I can feel it. Can you feel it? The feeling of this? <laughs> Who are you? All right. This is how we come to the promises. When we think, oh yeah, like, oh, like, eternal salvation and a nation being lifted up and a Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. All right, and we, and we go wandering up and he's like, you're not a Jew. What are you expecting? There's no ice cream here for you. All right, that is exactly what the case is. That's how we understand our standing before God as Gentiles. Now, maybe that's depressing to look back and remember. But it, it, helps, it helps do one thing first. I hope it humbles us. Because I think, I think generationally, I don't think we are that humble. Now, some of you, we, we are... We have generations of, of Christian lineage, and we think back, and, you know, I've Christians all, all the way back to the, the Reformation, and my family goes that far, or I had so many ministers in my family, or, or we say these things like, me and my house, we will serve the Lord, and we make it into a little plaque and put it above our kitchen. And, but the reality is, like, if we want to talk generationally and long-term history-wise, we would be rejected, That we are not this like pride of, oh, like, look, look at us, our heritage. No, we didn't have a heritage. We are actually completely outside. And so we might be must be humble in recognizing where we stand. And secondly, if we forget this, if we do not remember, we will not worship to the depth that we ought to. And that's where there, there's, so, there's so many reasons 
to thank God and love God for what he has done for us in Christ. And this is yet another one. Uh, some of you, you were, you were born in the church. You've always been in the church. You've never spent a Sunday away. And you take for granted that all these things are for you. And then when God says, my people, you say, oh yeah, that's me. Uh, that is not inherently the case. And I want you to realize what a privilege it is that any of us get to say that this is, this is our God, our Bible, our promises. Because by the grace of Jesus alone, can we say that? Verse 13. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. But now. And why, how does this happen? This happens because that Christ that you were separated from, he came and he, he shed his blood so that you might be bought by him so that he might be your king. He made himself your Christ. And as you became part of this, under his headship, under this king, as he became your sacrifice, all those other dominoes start to fall. And suddenly, hey, you're not alienated anymore. No, you are brought near. And not only are you brought near, you are now part of this nation. We said, you know, if you have to be part of this nation to be saved, that the blood of Christ does that for you. And suddenly all of these promises are not just the promises to another people, to another tribe, to another nation. No, they're, they're promises to you now. You have a part in these covenants. And takes us further and says, now, now we have hope. Do you remember the verses when we talked about hope? And I said that, that throughout the Old Testament, Israel was called the portion of God and that's why they have great hope. He never calls the Gentiles his portion. He never calls them his inheritance. But now, now that we are in Christ, we are his portion. We are his inheritance. We are his prize. We are the one that is lifted up. We are the trophy. We are the workmanship. Now we have now God in this world. In this world and in the one to come. Because we are no longer regarded as Gentiles, we have, are found in Christ. Now the rest of the passage says how. How does this happen? How does the blood of Christ transform people who are totally alienated and outside of all of this? How do they come to become part of the nation of Israel? And there, there's, there's two things that it's going to focus on. First, the horizontal side of it. There's Jew and there's Gentile, and they need to come together and become one. They need to be reconciled. This barrier between them needs to be broken. But there's a second barrier, the vertical barrier between God himself. And so let's, let's look at both of those in part. First, Jesus breaks the barrier in his own flesh between Jew and Gentile, verse 14. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one is broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances 
that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace. All right, so there's Jew and Gentile, and there is a wall of hostility between them that was like palpable and real. We wouldn't, you wouldn't step into each other's houses. You wouldn't talk to each other. You would, you'd go the long way around, so never have to interact, Jew and Gentile. And that barrier was there, and it separated people. Circumcised and uncircumcised, they're distinguished by, ultimately, this law. A law that separated the two. And a law that declared one clean and one unclean, one outside and one inside. And what does Jesus say? He breaks down that wall of hostility by abolishing the law. There's two parts of this. First, ceremonial. The ceremonial law. This is all that weird outward stuff that we look back in the Old Testament and think sounds silly. Things like you're not allowed to wear multi-fibered clothing. And people think, this is ridiculous. Why? What's so goofy? You can't, you can't mix your wool and your cotton together. That's unclean. It's that kind of stuff that we're talking about, the ceremonial stuff. And it was this all outward stuff that was supposed to show that Jews were special. And they were holy and they were different. Because their God was holy and special and different and they were called to be as well. This is where you get the, the food laws. This is where you get the, the weird haircuts. This is all ceremonial. This is where you get circumcision. All outward signs that distinguish the Jewish people from everyone else. And what this passage is saying is that Jesus, on the cross, with his flesh broken, he destroyed the ceremonial law. There are no more barriers like that anymore. They don't serve any purpose. And these things that used to make this clear line between those who are in and those who are out, it is broken down. So that he can say, circumcision or uncircumcision, who cares? Who cares what you eat? Who cares what you plant in your field or whether you get a tattoo or not? Who cares whether or not your, your clothing is mixed fibers? And so that the Jews could no longer say, you will make me unclean. The Jews can never look at the Gentiles and say, no, I, I, I'll, I'll be unclean by you because, no, they are so clean in Christ. They are so washed clean. They are so set apart. They are so holy in Christ that they don't need any of these outward signs anymore. Neither the Jew nor the Gentile need them. And so now the dividing wall has been broken down. Now, there aren't a lot of applications for that. Except, all right, if there's any weird little holding on to of Christian culture as Americans or as Presbyterians or as white people or whatever that is not scriptural and has nothing to do with our faith, it's just the way we've always done it, 
then those ceremonies need to die. If those things create barriers between us and other cultures, other peoples, other races, other nations, then those things need to die. They have perished with Christ. He has undone them. And if somehow we have, brick by brick, by our own human standards and ceremonies, created dividing walls of hostility with other believers, they ought to be broken down in Christ. Now, as I think about that, I'm not even sure what that looks like. Maybe if that is the, the way we do church, maybe if that's the way we sing, the way we talk, maybe some of those things need to die. If you have this kind of outward picture of what it means to be a Christian, and it's kind of has culture in it, it has our nationalism in it, if it has other polluting aspects, those things need to be taken away. Search your heart. See if there's any of that there. Things that you demand of the church for it to look a certain way, when it just shouldn't. All right. Now that's the ceremonial, and that's actually the, the less important of the two. Because Jesus abolishes a, a second aspect of the law, which is the crucial one. In a very real sense, he, he abolishes by fulfilling the moral law. And this law wasn't trivial. It wasn't just outward. No, this, this law says you have to be perfect. And you have to keep the commandments. And you are called to, to live righteous and holy lives, not just outwardly, but in your hearts. And you know what that created between the Jews and the Gentiles? Namely, the Jews thought that they alone were morally righteous, that they alone were good, and they could therefore condemn the Gentiles. They could rule over the Gentiles and lord their holiness over them. They could use comparative righteousness to, to gain a bit of a foothold to say, you know, maybe, maybe we are better. But when Jesus comes and, and fulfills the law perfectly, there is no room for those barriers anymore. There's no room for looking at the sins of other races or other cultures or other nations and saying, well, well we don't have those. No. This is not, it's not a battle for who can get the least sin on their, on their noses and or who can, can build the best culture that is free from sin. No, that's, that's not our means of righteousness. That's not our means of holiness. And any of that that we still hold on to is alien and is foreign to the work of Jesus Christ. If any of us, in any aspect of our hearts, still look and say, you know what, look at, look at them. Look at them. They are bad and we are good. We have failed to see the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have failed to see that, that that wall has been divided so that we might all come together as one in Christ. There's no room for judging or condemning other cultures or other peoples. There's no more competition. There's no relative goodness. And we don't need to protect ourselves from one another. All right. So that's the, that's the, that's the horizontal. 
Does any horizontal reconciliation need to help it happen on your part? Well, now, now we talk vertical. Because the, the horizontal only happens because we are reconciled, Jew and Greek, to God in Christ. Verse 16. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he, Jesus, came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now, this is not what we would have, should have expected. What should we have expected? We should have expected that the Jews were fine and that the Gentiles were not, and so Gentiles come up here. And suddenly you get to be joined to this nation, and hooray, look at you. You're now a Jew. But it's not that. What is it? And there's passages that talk like that, I recognize. Passages like, like that throughout Romans, talking about grafting in Romans 11. And, but this is different. It's stressing a different reality. It is stressing the fact that, yes, yes, the Jews had a special place in the flesh and outwardly. But it did not give them a, a special privileged place spiritually and really. And that's where he, he, he says, you know, the, the uncircumcision by the circumcision who are merely circumcised in the flesh. They say, that's all outward. And the reality is, not that you were far and you were near, maybe outwardly, yes. But no, the reality is that in your sin, you were all outside. You were all far from Christ. And no one has a privileged position. No one can claim by all of these physical, outward things to really have a claim on the promises, to really have hope, to really have God. To really have the Christ. Now what do they need? They need spiritual circumcision. The circumcision of the heart. They need a spirit to cleanse them. They need the, the rebirth. They need to be washed clean. All of these pictures of what ha- needs to happen spiritually. Now how, how do we then reconcile these two things? All right. You have to be an Israelite to be saved. But even the Israelites are not Israelites. To, how, 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 why do they have to come to Christ? And that's where as we see, see Scripture kind of like all these mysteries converging. Ultimately, what do we see? We see there has only ever been one Israelite. There has been one true Israelite. There has been one who really understood there has been Jesus Christ. He is the one true Israel. And that every other Israel was just a mere imitation and an attempt to grasp at Jesus as real Israel. That's where it talks not about, hey, you're, you're part of this new people. No, there's one man. There is Jesus. There's only ever been one. Jesus alone fulfilled the law. The Jews, they had the law. They did not fulfill it. They could not fulfill it. There's only one who had perfect faith. 
perfect faith lived day by day by day. There's only been one who really understood the Christ, Jesus Christ himself. He is the only one who understood what really needed to happen, the real work that needed to be done, the sacrifice that needed to be paid. He was the only one who really knew who the Christ needed to be. Jesus Christ alone was not alien to the commonwealth. What did Jesus do? Every, every time he tried to talk to people, he would try to tell them about the kingdom of God. And they didn't understand. And that they thought they knew what, what this kingdom was supposed to look like. They thought they knew what the commonwealth was. No, they had no idea. That it was supposed to be expressing all of these spiritual realities. And he alone was a true member. And he alone was actually bringing the kingdom he alone believed the promises. I think of uh, Jesus and, and Nicodemus. He talks about the promise of the rebirth and the, the, the Holy Spirit coming, and Nicodemus has, has no idea what's going on. What does Jesus say? Don't you know these things? Don't you know your own promises? No, but Jesus does. And Jesus alone had hope. Hope that could take him into the Garden of Gethsemane and say, not my will, but your will be done. Who could be blasphemed and ridiculed and beaten and mocked and shamed and hung naked on a cross and left to die and could do it for the joy set before him. Jesus alone, Jesus alone had God in this world. He had him as father. And he did his will, and every, every word out of his mouth was perfectly the word that was given to him by his father. He did not do anything out of his own will. He did not speak his own speech. He did not use his own power. He did not depend upon himself. We think of that. He's the only one who deserves an ice cream cone. <laughs> God said, hey, here's all the promises. Come get it. And we all lined up, and Jesus was the only one who really deserved it. And yet, where does Jesus find himself? He finds himself without God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He finds himself without hope on the cross, perishing in sin and rejection. He found himself without these Great promises alienated from the nation. He was rejected. He, one true Israel, was rejected and killed and died so that we might, both Jew and Gentile, become true Israel. United to him. All right. So what do we do with that? First, no more boasting. You are not some special people. We are not special people. I'm not a special person. We do not have any monopoly on any giftedness or power or knowledge or truth. No, we have Christ. And we have come to him in grace and in mercy. And if there is any barrier 
that you in your heart still carry with any people group, any race, any nation, those things ought to die, and we ought to kill them. And thankfully, because we have this great gospel, we alone, I think, have power to actually admit it. I think holistically, the world says, don't you dare say that you are prejudiced. Don't you dare say that you are racist. Don't you dare say that you have any of that in your heart. Or else you, you are dead and you are, you are rejected. And what is this saying? This is saying, no, there's no sin which is not common to man. It's all there. And yeah, we can look at it because we're under grace. And because we are all under grace. And we could admit our failings as a culture and as a race, as a nation, as a people. Because we don't have to be perfect. And we don't have to compare ourselves and we don't have to compete. And we can give grace. Even when we see the, the sins and failings of other people. And we cannot reject them because Jesus, our, the one true Israel, the one true son, he did not reject us. He brought us near. Who are we to push anyone far? And finally, let us worship. Let us worship this one who has brought us near, who saw us as aliens and outsiders, who those who were rejected and was rejected for us. Let's pray. Father, inherently and in my sinfulness, I do not care. And it is hard to grasp onto these things. They feel foreign, they feel far. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would bring them near. That you would draw us to remember that you would shatter our pride and you would lift up our hearts in joy, that we are your people and these promises are ours and that we will stand as the apple of your eye. We will be your portion, your inheritance, not because of anything in ourselves, but because Jesus Christ, the only one who earned it, was rejected on our behalf. Lord, we praise you for the plan that you executed in Christ Jesus. We ask that you might give us unity and peace and reconciliation with one another, that you'd break down all of the dividing walls of hostility, that we would share Christ in common, and that Christ would give us peace, we pray in Christ's name.